Well, that's cool. Right? Hey there, isolators. This podcast is the product of our ongoing pandemic, an idea developed during the dark days of late winter in snowy, cold Edmonton. Well, it snowed once again here this week, and so winter is now back in full force. With a 15 degree drop in temperature, I must admit I have very little interest in going outside these days, and instead I've wanted to curl up with a book and get some distraction time in. What better setting than that for the first meeting of the Well That's Cool Book Club? As a reader, I tend to alternate between nonfiction history books and throwaway science fiction for fun. It's the outcome of studying history for five years and working in museums for another five since, as well as a smash-up of my interest in exploration and space. While reading fiction especially, I often wonder how an author can create such long and intricate storylines, can develop characters that are so otherworldly, and keep it all together across a series. As a podcaster, I have the perfect platform to find out. And thus, the book club was born, an idea to bring friends together and share what we're reading in isolation, combined with a time to talk with an author or someone from the wider literary community, to learn more about this sector that inspires such curiosity and creativity. I'm very fortunate to know some published authors, and to have friends as interested in books as I am, who were keen to join me on Thursday night, October 22nd, for a live podcast recording to kick off this new series. And it is a series. I'm excited to announce a lineup through January, with more coming in the new year, but more on that at the end of the episode. My special guest for the first book club meeting was Vancouver-based young adult fantasy author Rachel Bell Irving. Her debut novel, Demons at the Doorstep, was published in January this year. Rachel joined me by Zoom to share her process writing the book, her journey to self-publishing, and what she has in store for the next five books in the series. A big thanks also to the live virtual studio audience who asked some questions at the end of our chat. So, welcome to the book club. And, uh, and we'll get started. So thank you everybody for coming to the first edition of the Well That's Cool book club. Very excited to be uh, joining you from snowy and cold Edmonton. It's about minus 12 outside, but my next door neighbor did just drive in with his windows down, blaring all of his music. Just full warning on that. So I'm very excited to, to be hosting this book club. I think it's a cool opportunity as this podcast came out of the pandemic, where a lot of us are doing this sort of Zoom call, Zoom discussion thing with friends to uh, to do that as part of the podcast itself. And in doing so, have an opportunity to share some of our likes and reading, um, all of that combined, as well as be able to have a chance to talk with some people who do this for a living and who know maybe a little bit more about it than uh, your average person joining a book club. So so I'm very excited to be joined by Rachel Bell Irving, who is a young adult fantasy author based in Vancouver. Um, Rachel is a friend of mine and also a former long distance colleague, which we'll get to a little bit later on. But Rachel's first book was uh, is called Demons at the Doorstep, and it was released in January of this year. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, it's the first title in the Wicked Conjuring series, and I'm not going to tell you too much about it. I'm going to let Rachel do that in a second. I would also like to start by mentioning that, as I said, I'm 
in Edmonton. So uh, Edmonton is on Treaty 6 territory. And uh, so I do want to recognize that it's a traditional meeting ground of many Indigenous nations for the last thousands of years. Um, and it is something that I like to mention at the beginning of live events, especially because I think live events are where we are doing some of that meeting, interacting and sharing as well. So I do just want to throw that out before we begin. So, um, as I mentioned, Rachel Bell Irving is our first guest in the book club here today. I'm very excited to have you, Rachel. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. Yeah, and so we're going to have a little bit of a conversation. And as I mentioned before, we're going to have a Q&A afterwards. But um, because it's my podcast, I get to ask you all the questions at, ahead of time. And so I'm going to jump right in with that. And I, I just just to set the scene, I guess, can you really briefly summarize what your book is about? Sort of who's in it, where it takes place, what the main storyline is, of course, without giving too much away. Um, and then I know you had a little bit of a sample for it as well. Yeah, absolutely. So hello, everybody again. Thank Thanks for joining us. Um, I'm currently living in Vancouver, which is on Musqueam territory, and I grew up on Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh, which are both very coastal First Nations groups. So I'm excited to be joining everybody today. And speaking of which, my book is actually not based in Vancouver. I wrote it based in Toronto when I was finishing up my last year at the University of Guelph. So it is a young adult uh, urban fantasy. Basically, the elevator pitch is a young witch is forced to team up with her mortal enemy in order to stop mutated demons from attacking her city, which is the great one-punch line there. <laughs> uh, in terms of a sample, so this is the cover, to check it out. It is book one. I'm working on book two right now, but I thought I'd read just a tiny bit from actually a part of the first chapter, because I think it really sets the scene pretty well. And the lead character, Jessica, at this moment uh, has unfortunately just run into a few witch hunters, which they're I'll tell you a little bit about their intention in a moment, but as she's trying to find the source of some crazy magical lights that are going on in the sky, she runs into these witch hunters, so she's trying to escape from that. And so I will just read a little section of that. So, wherever there were witches, there were witch hunters. They described themselves as a sacred band devoted to bringing justice to the world by correcting the imbalance of power created by the existence of magic. It was quite the motto. In reality, this particular group was a cult dedicated to eradicating all things magical. Witch hunters were all over the world, just as witches and magical creatures were. She had faced the witch hunters in the past. The anxious thudding of her heart at the thought that they could catch her ignited memories that echoed in the back of her mind. The feeling of bare feet crunching sticks while she ran through a dark, endless forest. The world around her silenced by the pounding blood in her ears and her sight blinded by tears. Jessica turned another corner and left the memory behind her. That was a shade from long ago, and she was older now, stronger. She'd faced the witch hunters in Toronto before, and she could outrun them again. She needed to stay alive. The alley she ducked into turned left around a back street. Jessica had to weave through dumpsters, choking on the smell that wafted off them. As she sidestepped another dumpster, she came to an abrupt halt as a brick wall appeared in front of her. Oh, shit. She had been in the city for just over a year, and she was still discovering the unique traits and quirks of the urban hub, including new dead ends. Jessica bent over and gripped her knees, gasping heavy breaths. Clouds of hot air rose steadily from her lips while dread pooled in her gut. She could hear the hunters approaching, their stampeding feet indicating their lack of finesse. Why did they have to find her tonight? Whatever spell was causing the weird lights in the sky, it wouldn't last forever. If she couldn't get away from the witch hunter soon, she might run out of time to uncover the source. Jessica heaved a heavy sigh once she managed to catch her breath. The crisp October air made her lungs fill with frost. She turned the face the way she had come. This way, a deep 
voice shouted in the distance. Jessica backed against the brick wall and looked up. She felt the sunset colors were taunting her now. Stay alive first, she reminded herself. This way, another male voice called out, this time much closer than before. Jessica growled under her breath. How stupid was it that a band of people who wanted to destroy all things magical used magic to hunt her down? She had no idea how they managed to get a hold of such a powerful magical relic. Their cursed compass directed them to anything with a powerful aura, which made the instrument go haywire around Jessica. She would love to destroy the thing. A team of four entered the hallway, their shadows clawing up to Jessica's feet. She scowled instinctively. Damien was flanked by two men and a woman Jessica didn't recognize. He didn't say anything at first, but that was no surprise. The shadow blurred his facial features, though she imagined he was feeling smug. What took you so long? She smiled at the witch hunters. That's it. Yeah, thanks for that. So it's um, it's quite an interesting storyline with uh, very fantastical elements by the sounds of it. And uh, and I know that you also described at one point you described a deadly sunset and all these lights in the skies and everything, um, you know, relating to the, the sensory experience of, of walking around a town. Um, how did you come up with that idea? Where, where do you find the ideas for such a fantastical world, all these crazy events and things that really aren't bound in reality? Or are they? Well, firstly, it comes down to having a very overactive imagination. And I would say probably 75% of what I daydream has some kind of fantastical element to it. But with this story in particular, I did have a lot of fun with um, pulling from my science background and seeing how I could theoretically argue why magic could exist and where these things come from. And with this particular magic world, or at least with the magic system, it's an energy-based thing. So it's an input and an output. And the idea is that if you're outputting a lot of magic to create something or to cause a spell, that could cause the nature around you to react in a similar way, hence why the lights go kind of crazy. So there are bits and pieces of that woven in, especially with the demons that are going to show up as they go in. And I had a lot of fun with kind of exploring how nature or how people might be affected if the rules of both magic and of nature are broken hmm. and is the reality side of the town something that also grounds some of that story um in terms of of how it interacts with what's around it yeah i think urban fantasy is a really great gateway particularly if you're not someone who reads fantasy normally because it's based in reality it does have that grounding element that a lot of people can connect with quite quickly so you don't have to do as much brain work of really imagining yourself there a lot of people can relate to what's it like to be on a street corner and kind of what that atmosphere might bring but then really it's just a jumping off point and you can try and take some creative license there's certainly some creative license that i took i tried to keep it as sincere to toronto as possible but there are a few buildings that may may not exist anymore <laughs> uh, but yeah. it's a nice jumping off point to then layer in different kind of fantastical things mm -hmm. and does that mean that you don't need to do as much of that sort of world building that we always hear about with fantasy and even with sci-fi where um the the elements of the day-to-day -day or the the things that are not just the characters those things are already there yeah to some degree it's nice because you definitely don't have to start from scratch you already mm -hmm. have those parameters that you get to work in so in some ways it is really a benefit in other ways you are limiting yourself or at least you are placing restraints around yourself because you have to work within what people know and if you push it too far 
it falls into fantasy or it becomes unbelievable. So it's nice in the sense I am writing other fantasies as well. And that obviously takes a whole other level of work, but it's a different kind of work. So urban fantasy, you still just as much have to think about the rules of the world you're creating and in times working within those parameters can be a challenge. And, and why did you pick urban fantasy? Because I thought it would be easier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I thought it, I thought being the keyword, right. I thought it would be easier. Um, and it was fun because again, I was finishing up my last year of university and I was going to be leaving the province and I had had such a great time there that I kind of wanted to have that stamped somewhere and it ended up in one of my stories. Right, and we should maybe mention that you actually did your university in University of Guelph, right? Yeah, Bachelor of Arts and Science. (laughs) Right, (laughs) good mix. Um, So let's talk about Jessica. How did you come up with the character and the voice of the character of Jessica? That's a great question. I the whole story kind of started off again one of those weird, uh, overactive imagination moments where I just sat, sort of sat down and had a writing sprint, and out came this chapter. And Jessica came a part of from myself but also I was very intentional in trying to make her different and so she came out being very um like type a uptight she thinks she's flexible but she's really not (laughs) and part of the story is her figuring that out as she goes so her voice came from me very deliberating deliberately trying not to be me and then she kind of fell into her own person from there Hmm. um was that intentional that you wanted to reflect yourself in the character or was it really that you were trying to write something different and ended up with that I was I was really trying to write something different and end up ended up with that I think I started writing when I was young and I know the very first kind of books that I wrote definitely used me as that kind of starting point for the character and so because this was a little bit more of a conscious decision I wanted to make sure that she was not me (laughs) Because that's right. a dangerous road to walk if you start to write yourself into books. Uh, and so I really was purposeful in trying to avoid that. <laughs> right. Um, and and how does she develop through the story? You said she's working through some of these elements of her personality or sort of where she comes from. Um, that progression, how would you describe the progression without giving too much away of the story? I think the biggest thing with her is just being forced out of her comfort zone in ways she can't control. She's someone who she's got the skills where she's good at adapting to different scenarios, but only scenarios that she's really planned for. And so once you throw her out of that and it's not something that she's researched, it's not something that she's been trained to do, it really does make her shackles go up. And what was so much fun about this one is it does have that enemies to something more dynamic, which was so much fun. To write the banter so forcing her to come face to face with Damien who is the second in command of the witch hunters uh, helps provide not only pushing her out of her comfort zone but kind of giving her a sounding board to then also someone to point at her and say by the way this is an issue you have <laughs> and she can't ignore that and where does he come from because you're writing two quite involved deep characters as well as other ones in the story um how do you make sure that there's differences that they they are a foil but not only a foil to your main character yeah damien was a funny one because in the first editions of demons i definitely didn't know who he was and i remember very distinctively a friend gave me some feedback that said more or less he's a meat sack and he has to be a person if this is going to work 
<laughs> and I was like, yes, that, that's a very good point. So it was really in just editing over and over again and also writing the other books in the series that I got to know Damien. And that was quite fun. He's got a more arrogance than I thought he was going to have. <laughs> but I think that plays off well of someone like Jessica who is really uptight and he's someone who even though he's quite guarded and composed it's very he's very aware of his own emotions and he knows how to work with them so when he comes across someone like Jessica who thinks that she is good at hiding her emotions and really isn't it's not only fun for him but it allows a way for them to connect as well mm-hmm. and so really that that voice of the character or the personality sort of came about after you were already writing the story and was there really changes to the story that you had to do because all of a sudden this character is is a different person in many ways yeah he came about like his role in the story was i think what eventually informed him as a person because that's what came first it was what is their dynamic what's his job to do in the story and then as i started to got to know him i think what it really did was add that layer of depth and that heart that emotion to it it's still meant to be a fun escapism kind of read but to see them connect and in what feels like real people made it more fun for me as well as we got to the final stages of it and probably makes them more believable and and stuff as a character since they are a little bit more real as well right exactly and then of course we get to continue on with this into the rest of the series so that's been fun too Right, and we'll talk about the series in a second, but I wanted to know why you picked the young adult category. Um, fantasy obviously goes from anything from a bedtime story all the way up to deep adult fantasy. How how come you picked young adult, and, and how did you sort of find your way into that world? Yeah, I didn't realize I was re- writing young adult at first, but what separates it particularly from adult is there's really three things that make it different. One is the length and the word count. So... It young adults books on average tend to be shorter, but that's again on average because there's absolutely books that break that rule. Uh, so it's because it's shorter, it also tends to be a lot better or faster paced. So it's right to the point and it's straight to the action. And that's what I personally really enjoy. I mean, the prose is gorgeous and you can get really in depth and layered in adult books, but to have it have those deep themes that you can absolutely capture in young adult but to have it go very snappy and quick it's just for me it's a lot more fun to write to get right into the action and to really just jump into it head on that's mostly what I think informed my writing it's sort of how I live my life in general and obviously that kind of bled into writing as well and so did you have to change some of the story once you realized that or some of the even the length of the book as you went through your writing and editing process and sort of realized that it was a young adult focused book? Did you have to change things and go about things in a different way? I, I did change the age of the characters. So something else that is like very specific to young adult is on average, the characters tend to be uh, usually around 13 to 17 because the age category technically on paper is meant for ages 12 to 18 even though the reading demographic can go all the way up to 50 years old so uh for me I originally had them at I think 25 and 28 or something like that because I wanted an older character but and you can still have older characters in young adult but I did have to age them down uh in order for it to make a bit more sense Mm -hmm. So the the more common reader is probably going to see themselves a little bit more in it as well, right? Yeah, so I tend to describe it as an upper young adult because while it does have that style of writing that makes it young adult, 
the characters are a little bit older and I didn't want to change that because as much as I love reading about 16 year olds kicking butt I also wanted a character that I could relate to a little bit more and so being 19 and 21 you're still in that you don't know what you're doing stage but you're slightly more on the older and there's also a scene uh where they drink champagne and so I had to have them legal drinking age (laughs) in Canada for sure in Canada yeah that's also specified (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, so just to move on a little bit into the process of the book and, and how it came to be. So this is your debut novel, but you did say you've been writing for a long time, both as a kid through to you being in university. So what made you to uh, decide to jump into this as a novel other than just wanting to have something on paper that showed you were in Ontario for a extended period of time? I Okay, so it's it's been quite the journey and I'll try and make it as concise as I can, but to be perfectly transparent, it, it actually did start from just wanting to have it on paper. And this was the first book that I felt there was some market value to it, but I went into it really ignorant and really insecure about its actual potential. And so I would say that I kind of went into it with this idea of, oh, well, I'll publish a book and I'll have it in my hands. Uh, And if it happens to sell a few copies, cool. Which, if you want to do this as a career, that does not work (laughs) in any way, shape, or form. And unfortunately, I didn't realize that until about halfway through what was actually the first edition of Demons. And I was working with a company that essentially I hired to do it for me, which was another mistake uh, in hindsight. And so I was halfway through that, couldn't really back out, and I ended up with a first edition which I didn't want to really tell anybody about. I kind of celebrated because that's what you're supposed to do, but I think the whole time and having learned more about the industry and the process, I realized like this could be so much better. And with some really helpful constructive feedback from readers and just kind of my own research, I took it off the shelves and I redid it. I got it professionally edited a few times like really actually gave it the oil and grease that it needed and then published it myself, essentially, with a little bit of help the first time around. So it's been a process and I kind of fell into it by accident, not having the right intentions. But now being here and being in the mess of it, like I'm I'm happy I did. It's just a lot of hindsight 2020. There's a lot of money that I wish I could have been smart enough to do the research first before doing before doing that first version. Right, right. Um, but you probably learned a lot through that process. And I'm assuming this process was a significantly lengthy time as well. How long did it sort of take from having the idea to now? Uh, for version two, or like the proper book, as I like to kind of think of it, it's that was about a year and a half of sorting out what I wanted and getting the right people, building a team to help put it together. So it's absolutely been a phenomenal learning process. And I think someone... Uh, once told me, it's like, well, you would have, you know, it's kind of like you took a publishing course. You just did it through, you know, trial by fire. Yeah, okay, that kind of helps a little bit. (laughs) But I'm still learning. So it's it's nice because I feel like a lot of the heebie-jeebies are now out because of this whole uh, experience. And so now that I'm working on book two, there's still so many nerves and so many roller coaster moments, but it does feel a little bit more grounded and a little bit more sure of myself, which is nice. And you're not doing it for the first time anymore. It's not for the first time. We've we've learned much. And I'm very happy to share what I've learned. And I have a blog on my website that I keep. I recently started a publishing 101 series just so I could actually write down, 
here are the things that I had no idea when I started, and here are the things you have to know specifically if you're self-publishing, but it can be useful to anybody interested in, in the business side of things. And so for the writing side of things, how did you how did you write it? What was your process of writing it on the computer, writing it on notebooks? Did you write it out on index cards? What, what did you do for that? <laughs> if you know anyone who writes on index cards, I would love to meet them. That would be very cool. <sighs> a very cool chat. Uh, there are There's kind of two terms that are flown around the writing community, and that's you are either a pantser, as in you write by the seat of your pants with no plan, or you are a plotter where you actually meticulously plot it out and end up doing it. So Demons in its first edition and its kind of initial first draft was just completely pantsed. It was just me sitting down and writing when I had free time and eventually out came this book. Since then, I think I've kind of morphed more into a planting sort of thing. So I will tend to plot out what the general like roadmap of the book will be and then I will explore as I write each chapter. So that's a mid-ground that works for me, but it is different for everybody. And is that the same approach that you're taking now through the second book as well? Yes and no. I've sort of, I already had a first draft for all six books. And so it's been an interesting way of going back into it and kind of, yeah, replotting it and then rewriting it and using it more as inspiration as opposed to working off the same draft over and over again. Uh, but it's it's been really fun to kind of see how my own writing skills have grown from this first draft of demons to now even just a second draft of werewolves which is book two uh and seeing that growth it, it's a nice feeling you actually get to see yourself getting better mm -hmm. that's cool um we've talked a little bit about the writing and then you also mentioned that you published things sort of on your own um but the book does say firelight reads on there as well so tell me tell me what actually it is and and what it was like working with a company if that was the way that you went that's so that's a great question and it's something that i had no idea about when i first started but firelight reads is me that is okay. my own imprint uh, and so what a lot of self-published authors will do is you make an imprint, which is quite literally as simple as picking a name, and then you register for an ISBN. If you're in Canada, you do that with um, Library Archives Canada, and if you're in the U.S., there's a few other ways of doing it. And all you need is really that name. So I could have used my own name, but the idea is that I'd like there to be a lot of different books. And so to have one kind of overarching company name is what works best. But that's the way I'm going now. Uh, in the past, I've worked with two different types of companies. I would say one is like a full service indie publisher where you hire them to do all the work for you. And that can be really beneficial to some people, depending on circumstances. Uh, and it's kind of like they're the middleman, you use their cover uh, designers, you use their editors, and they package it up all nice and neat for you, and they'll help you distribute it. And then the other type of company I've worked with was more like a consulting style company. So I did hire them to be a project manager, but I got to pick my own editor, my own cover designer and talk directly to them. So that is an entry point that I most often recommend depending on the person, just because you have more of that control. And if, again, if you wanna make this into an actual job, it's you are becoming a small business owner. I wish someone had told me that months and months and months ago, but you, you really are starting a business. So there's a couple of routes you can take, but right now I'm trying to do it on my own. 
And will that imprint ever have books by other people on it? Or are you thinking purely you? Right now I'm thinking purely me because it is just me. But if I ever got right. big enough to be able to offer that to people, I mean, that would be... That certainly is one of those like 10, 15, 20 year goals down the road. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you mentioned this already a little bit, but you've been sharing some of your experience of writing the book and going through this process on a blog, on social media. Um, you know, as your friend, I see your posts all the time about uh, different writing techniques, what you do to inspire yourself, all that sort of thing. Why was that important to share that publicly other than just as a way to write things down? Was there sort of an intention of being um, an example or sort of working with other people who are going through the same thing? Uh, yeah, it's, it's absolutely the intention of being an example of what not to do. <laughs> um, I caused myself a lot of stress and I would, that's unavoidable, like absolutely the imposter syndrome and the anxiety is really something that you just, you do have to go through as part of the process. But if I can help someone else minimize that and just feel a little bit more prepared or at least know that there are those kind of resources out there to start with, then I feel like I've done some good in the world because <laughs> it was hard for me to find and it's absolutely out there so even if it's just a little nudge in the right direction I would love to be able to help other authors do that because the less stressed you are about what the heck am I doing the more you can focus on oh am I doing this right and I think that's where more of the energy needs to be and has that built up a community for you because you do have quite active posts do you have quite active followers and interactions with people as well yeah the thing that surprised me the most is how many genuine connections that I've been able to make particularly through Instagram uh, that's my chosen platform but it's amazing how much you learn about you know stranger danger and online dangers and all these things when you're a kid but uh, some of them are even joining today which is I'm very honored that they would spend their evening coming and joining me here so that's something that's surprised me and has been a very wonderful joyous moment and Books have a very cool ability to to bring people together that way. Mm -hmm. And so that obviously also shows that your books are getting out there. They're getting into people's hands. People are reading the, the first book in your series. Um, has that been sort of a success in your mind so far? Are you doing more to get it out more? Um, what's the story of the the sort of eight months? Well, what are we, 10 months after publish, uh, publication now? Yeah, I mean, the, it is my debut novel and I self-published and I'm still very new at this. So I consider there to be some successes, but I consider them to be successes for where I am now. So those aren't big numbers, but they're things that I get to see someone else across the world sharing a photo of my book. Like that was a huge highlight for me and also even just seeing a paycheck come in at all even if it's only a few dollars sometimes is a really good feeling and so it's it's been a success to some degree but there's so much legwork that goes into it in terms of just communicating with people finding readers pushing for reviews it's like one of the biggest things you can do to help any author is review a book uh, and so that's been a process and I think aside from there's two big pieces of advice I would give anyone who's interested in writing to publish and that is one keep writing because you can't do anything unless you have a book <laughs> surprisingly uh, but two also it's a marathon and not a sprint and I am by nature quite an impatient person so it's also been a lot of learning about myself <laughs> in this process so mm -hmm. it's it's been small successes but it's kind of meant to be small at this time and I hope they grow there's that Jessica experience coming through with yours right yeah <laughs> 
So what is your day-to-day like now in that marathon of being an author, but also I know you have a day job. So what is the the life of an author working on the second book now? That's an interesting question. I've been struggling with that recently because I got a new job in March and then lockdown kind of happened. So most of that's been remote, but it's kind of finding its way now and trying to figure out a new routine with it. But yeah, generally it's, I'm working eight to five, I come home, have dinner, and then normally what it will be is trying to squeeze in an hour to two and a half, maybe three hours of some kind of work. And that will be, it's not always writing, which is cool. Um, Sometimes that's working on marketing or newsletters. Sometimes that's uh, taking pictures for Instagram, which my roommate uh, has many a laugh at me for the wonderful concoctions that I will make in my bedroom as I'm spread out with books everywhere and candles and mugs of tea and it just gets you laugh at yourself a lot (laughs) at the things that you put yourself in for social media um but yeah it's like usually generally an hour a day if I can help it and then my weekends if I'm not doing something it's usually a four to five hour day of writing or editing and it's very um it kind of runs in cycles so right now I'm meant to be getting back the edits for book two sometime, I think on Monday, and then I'll start on that. And when I'm not working on that, it's on a different project or it's on marketing or whatnot. So it's kind of like always hitting around the ping pong as you go, but it'll look different. And some structure definitely helps. Mm-hmm. And uh, none of the sort of wake up at five and write for an hour before breakfast thing and then get on with life. That is something I'm thinking of trying. Um, okay. Particularly when there's days that I work from home. I I actually did that today because I'm reading a friend's manuscript and it's hard to find time to do that. So that was my plan was I'll wake up, I'll read his book for an hour and then I'll go to my work. So it's something I'm playing with. It hasn't worked yet, even though I am a morning person, but we'll we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you said you're getting the edits back on book two. Are you already thinking about book three, book five, book 10, whatever? Or is it really focused on book two? And then when that's done, start on the next one. It it should be focused on book two. Annoyingly, I keep thinking of book three and all the things that I want to change because I'm excitedly thinking ahead. But the nice thing is that I do have at least a first draft for the entire series So I can relax a little bit in the sense at least there's an idea on paper somewhere. Uh, But yes, it's meant to be, it's all meant to be all book two. I was supposed to be working on a separate project while the book was with the editor. And I also have learned that burnout from writing is a real thing. And so I had to spend the month really just kind of focusing on reading instead. (laughs) But usually I will go back and forth between projects as long as I'm wrapping my head around it effectively and health, healthfully. (laughs) Right, right. Um, Is there something that you want to try? You mentioned that you're wanting to change things, maybe, in the plans for the future books. But is there something either within this series or in other writing avenues that you would like to try or that you are hoping to incorporate? Ooh, that's kind of fun. Um, I would say like a big goal of mine is to be a blended author uh, or a hybrid author, sorry. And so that's someone who's both traditionally published and indie published or self-published. So I've kind of got the self-published books and I like what they are. Their intention is really meant to be that fun. It's a grab and go book. It's a commuter book. It's a escapism kind of book. And I really love having that series because it's something that is so much fun to work on. And it's a nice little escape for myself as well. 
But I also would love to have that experience of getting an agent and working with a publishing house and seeing that side of the industry because I think they have pros and cons for both. So that's something in terms of the business side that I want to get into. And I have lots of story ideas. I think I've got four or five unstarted story ideas, all of which I would hopefully like to do at some point. Uh, But they're sitting on the back burner for now. And are they going to be urban fantasy for young adults or are they sort of going to be anything that I've got, let me see, I've got a middle grade story that is kind of like Spy Kids meets the Rescuers. So that would be kind of cool, like teenage sporting school, secret society of um, superhero type thing. I've also got a contemporary, which would be much more like a family drama. And that would be a much more intense book for me to write. Uh, and then I've also got something that was kind of like Charlie's Angels sort of themed. So there's a weird mix of fantasy, contemporary, like high fantasy, low fantasy. It's all over the all over the place, but it does fall predominantly fantasy and magic because I think that's just so much fun. And everyone needs a little bit of magic. Mm-hmm. Well, I do want to get ready to open it up to questions for other people. So um, people think about your questions right now, as I asked the last one that I have for Rachel here, um, and we'll open it up to people afterwards. But Rachel, I did hint at this, that we have sort of worked together in the past when I was in BC working in the cultural sector, you were in BC working in the cultural sector, um, you were a science communicator and educator, which in my mind is a very rigid sort of non-fantastical thing, as amazing as the natural world is. I know that you you described a little bit about the way that um, writing about the magic shows that there could be a connection or you like to explore that at least. But how does being a fantasy writer influence your day job of that sort of science education, science communication side? Yeah, I would 100% disagree with you in terms of that, honestly. I think science can be so freaking creative and incredible. And what I find most interesting is arts and science really do follow the same cycle of creativity and criticism. You have to come up with an idea, you have to evaluate it, and then you have to find a way to fix that, and then you start all over again. And so they both follow in that kind of um, feedback and create and feedback kind of cycle. So what's also really freaking awesome about being working in science and education is, particularly because I was focused on biology and ocean sciences and the natural world, you see so much wonder in what the world has already created by itself. And if you just know the few little pieces, you can then kind of figure out, or at least hypothesize, why things might have been the way they were. And I think magic works a very similar way. Like, for example, uh, to give kind of a slight spoiler in a way for the book, the idea of demons possessing people, you know, what would cause a demon to actually fuse with a person? Like, and I won't tell you why that happens because that would be a massive spoiler but that's something that I wanted to look at and it's just asking a question and then exploring and running with it and magic whether it's magic or whether it's science like oh why does that frog have that kind of skin once you ask that question you then get to explore it so magic and science really aren't all that different they're just kind of different content in a way and so you really don't need to separate those two You don't have your author time and your science time. Those are really interchangeable in many ways. Yeah, exactly. The content's just different. Like I do have to focus on talking about 
actual like real world things when I am working with kids. But even then I had some great conversations with kids and even some adults as to why uh, mermaids might be real. I, you know, if someone believed in that, then it's, well, okay, tell me, how do you think they'd breathe? Or how would they reproduce? How do they find food? And you're having real scientific conversations about something that is, in theory, mythological. So you can have the same kind of conversations in reverse, too, which is fun. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I want to open it up to see if anybody from our live studio audience uh, has any questions. Thank you, live studio audience. Feel free to unmute yourself and jump in. We're going to do this very informally. If you have a question for Rachel, uh, go ahead. I have a question, Rachel. Thank you. That that was magical. Um, not not to have a pun. I didn't mean that in that particular way. Um, I was just wondering about one of the things that has been coming uh, out a lot within these contexts is about influences of how authors in both the young adult world in movies and television shows in in books um are the are having an impact on on young people and is that something that influences you within your writing knowing that young people are going to be reading your work and does that impact the way that you write in terms of a concept of role models and a concept of what concepts you're introducing or is that, um, is that a little bit taken up the back burner in terms of content and narrative? That's a great question. Um, to some degree, it does influence it, especially because writing young adult when you have characters that are slightly older, like in terms of a logistical kind of side of things, you do have to take in mind uh, how much cursing, for example, is going into a book or how much alcohol consumption there's not a lot, I can promise you that, but you have to be wary of who your audience is. And so even though it's the upper end of young adult, you absolutely could have young kids reading it. And so I don't, I don't really personally believe in sheltering people in that way, but I also want to be as inclusive as I can in terms of where they're coming from as a starting point. So definitely taking into account some of those literal things. And it's also kind of taking into account, I mean, there's so much talk about diversity and Black Lives Matter and all those kind of movements right now that absolutely should be having an impact on what authors write and what characters they write or what their world looks like. So trying to be diligent in terms of what my future books look like in terms of can I see myself as like, does young me see myself in some of these characters? Are other kids going to be able to connect with these characters in different ways? And so it does both on like a word by word level, but also in terms of concept creation that absolutely has an impact. That's a good question. Thank you. My question, and Ben's mom, by the way, um, um, my question is similar to to Natalie's, but I guess the the idea of the moral of the story. Do you? Um, and I think you've hinted at that, but is that something that you consider? Um, you're talking about your main character uh, finding out who she is and and understanding who she is. Uh, do you have kind of a moral of the story that goes along through your arc of your of your books? Yeah, for me, the moral of the story is that you need to embrace your emotions. Uh, that's kind of the biggest takeaway for Jessica, I think, throughout the story is she tries to be so in control all the time, and that's just not healthy. And the more that you can embrace it and have that kind of healthy communication with yourself, the stronger you can be. And so... For me, that's the moral of the story, and it wasn't something I figured out until I wrote it. 
even though it was there the entire time with her backstory and the adventure and then it's she kind of says this line I look back and I go oh yeah okay I need to write that down and remember that for myself (laughs) yeah so definitely emotional regulation is kind of the key theme for her at least and is that something that you'll you'll sort of track through like do you have that kind of thread ready to go through all of your in your series or is that going to develop as the as the characters and the story develops? yeah that's a fantastic question because when you're planning a series it's tricky because each book has to stand on its own and have its own arc but then there does have to be something connecting all six books and what is unique about this series is each book is going to be predominantly from a different character's point of view so with book two they go to a different city and uh introduce to a new character nathan who's a werewolf and it's his taking his story is taking the forefront, but Jessica and Damien are there. Jessica's point of view is still included. So for her, like that's an ongoing thing that she's going to have to kind of come to by the end of the series itself is as this balance keeper of magic, how do you balance that title and that kind of responsibility with who you actually are, or what you actually want to be? And along the way, a lot of it is her learning how to make friends. (laughs) So that's kind of the through line as they bring in their squad, as I like to call them. Um, But each character as well gets to help her see that, but she also gets to connect with these different storylines. So yes, there's a through line, and I'm also having fun with some new characters and building their team. Great. Thank you. Well, very impressive how you get all that done and a day job and yourself together in one piece that's all very important social media too (laughs) lots of notebooks (laughs) lots of notes everywhere you you sort of hinted at this rachel but what other types of characters are going to be coming in you have demons and witch hunters in this one where does the fantasy lead from there yeah each book is going to be focusing on a different species or at least incorporating that into the story so book two is werewolves and looking at that sort of world. And for me, book two is a family story and looking at how that curse might not only impact a person, but also other people in their lives. And then it goes on to meet some goblins, some elves. There's a few vampires thrown in there. Uh, We do bring up some Camelot mythology, which she'll be introduced to in book one. And that plays a role uh, throughout. So it's also quite fun because I think at least in this world, there's no boundaries in terms of what magic is where, what mythology is where. So absolutely, it's this wonderful mosaic of different types of stories and different types of mythologies that get to pop up uh, throughout. So for the villain, for example, is, or at least the villain in this book, is not from Camelot, um, it's from different uh, different culture. So that's been also really fun to explore some of the stories that I certainly didn't know before I started writing it. Um, I do want to know two quick questions to end things here, Rachel. So first of all, what are you reading that you think people should read from other authors? Okay, wait one second. I'm going to grab it. The book that I'm currently reading that I was introduced to recently is The Night Circus, Erin Morgenstern. And it's been really interesting. It's an adult fantasy. I think it's perfect for fall. It's very... It's kind of like a slow burn, not in a romantic sense, just in the story. It's very whimsical and, um, yeah, whimsical. It's very intimate. It's very intricate in how the world building's done. So absolutely a really cool uh, world building example, but just a little bit 
weird and wonderful, so don't expect this big, you know, flashing lights uh, action kind of thing, but definitely to dive into a completely different world is a lot of fun. So I recommend the Night Circus. Okay. And then the second question is, where can people find you, find your books, find your social media, your blogs? Where do they go? That's great. Yeah. So I am on all social media is Bell Irving, all one word, no hyphen. Uh, website again, rbellirving.ca, and those are the two primary places. But I do also have a newsletter, and that is a place where I get to share updates on the book as well as more behind the scenes kind of things. So, for example, the November newsletter will have a behind the scenes look at what the first draft of the cover for book two looks like, and also things that are happening in publishing news or book recommendations, all that kind of stuff. So, rbellirving, you can find me on all the social media and the website as well as the newsletter there. And I'll link to that in the podcast episode uh, episode notes as well. So thank you very much, Rachel, for, for joining me and talking with uh, the audience here today. It's been really neat to hear about the book um, that is already out, as well as the books that are in the works, uh, your writing process, your writing history, and really how that has come about into a, into a career. It sort of sounds like it may have been a surprise in some ways, but one that you're really learning about and moving forward with. So thank you very much for, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. I appreciate everyone coming. Thanks again to Rachel Bell Irving for starting the Well That's Cool book club with her fantastical writing and experience. After our conversation, Rachel and our studio audience continued chatting about books, sharing what we're reading these days, and more about our reading styles and interests. I just finished The Power of One by Bryce Courtney, a popular book club read that I found interesting enough to keep me reading, but strange enough to keep me wondering why I was reading it. Rachel's recommendations were A Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab for the magic, fantasy, and some darkness, as well as Woven in Moonlight by Isabel Ibanez for its vivid setting and strong young adult heroine. If you want to learn more about Rachel's writing and keep up with what she's reading in the coming months, visit her website at www.rbellirving.ca or find her on social media at rbellirving. You can also buy a copy of her book and watch for the second one coming soon. I hope you'll also join me for a future Well That's Cool book club event. I'm excited to announce the lineup of special guests through to January, with more for 2021 being confirmed soon. Join me on November 12th at 8pm Mountain Time as I talk about educating and empowering youth through storytelling and how you pick an award-winning book with Alyssa Polinsky, board member of Story Studio Writing Society and president of the Victoria Book Prizes. On December 10th, I'll be talking to Canada's foremost popular military historian, Mark Zolke, who is also an award-winning mystery writer. And in January, I'll be learning about speculative fiction with C.J. Levine, author of In Veritas. Learn more about my guests and find links to register for future meetings at benfast.ca slash cool slash book club. And book club's all one word. Thanks as always to Ron Yamauchi for the theme tune and to Anna Schroeder of Another Design for the Cool Podcast logo. Check out her work at A-N-N-A-T-H-E-R design.com. Other music heard during this episode and all the other podcast stuff is done by me, Ben Fast.
You can get in touch with the podcast on Facebook at Well That's Cool Pod or on Twitter at Well underscore That's Cool. Say hi to the podcast or suggest something you're curious about by sending me an email at wellthatscoolpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, stay well and happy isolation reading.